Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been really challenged lately by Jesus' teachings in John's Gospel, but elsewhere, everywhere in the Gospels, really, his teachings about love. And John 15, verse 12, really strikes me. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So that's a pretty high bar to love each other just as Christ has loved us. And then he goes on, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And um, so laying down our lives, you know, for our friends, Jesus himself embodies the one who lays his life down, you know, for us. And, but he's calling us, you know, inspiring us through these words to do the same. And um, right at the end of this section, verse 17, Jesus repeats everything he's just said. This I command you, that you love one another. And what does that look like for us to love each other, especially fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, it's so easy these days with the church as polarized as it is to to not love, you know, to hate, to to see the dividing lines uh, that we have around politics and and to, to just uh, despise, you know, people that embrace other viewpoints, especially when they embrace them in annoying and militant ways. And um, we can justify not loving uh, our brothers and sisters by deciding that they're not our brothers and sisters, that they're not real Christians, you know, and, um, and I think there's all kinds of ways that, you know, we justify our disdain. But even if they aren't our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they're not following the way of Jesus, but are maybe following an antichrist, we are still called to love our enemies, aren't we? So we mustn't justify our, our hatred. I'm um, moved by 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, that reads, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So do we experience the world hating us? I know that um, a lot of us, we try to avoid getting in the crosshairs of the world. We don't want to make statements that we know would, um, you know, would reinforce people's prejudices about us as, as Christians. You know, there's a lot of judgment going on against Christians out in the world and in the media. Um, Christians that are, that are called bigots or racists or white supremacists. And, um, and there's a lot of Christians out there that seem to be reinforcing those prejudices by their, their actions and their words. So anyway, one of the things we often try to do is to be loved by the world or to at least stay under the world's radar and keep our heads down, you know, and but here it says, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So, um, you know, they may be hating us not even because we are annoying in, um, in a traditional way, you know, uh, in a, like being overly moralistic or puritanical or, or ways that where we're excluding people or we're, you know, we're just uh, judgmental. But we may, by virtue of being disciples of Jesus and following him and being full of his love and the Holy Spirit, um, experience the world's hate. In fact, um, Jesus himself experienced that. And, um, and so I think a true disciple of Jesus, you know, we're warned 
um, we'll experience that that hatred. And it's not because of something wrong we've done, but it's actually because we're, we're viewed as being set apart, as being other, as being different. And so we're othered, um, consequently. Um, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers and sisters. So while wow, a sign that we have passed out of death and into life is this love that we have for others, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and then First John ends by saying, the one who does not love abides in death. Wow, so I don't want to remain, abide, stay in a place of death. And I'm sure you don't either. And so um, the one who doesn't love is, um, you know, we're destined to stay in this place of death and to not pass from death to life. And we see that, you know, love is something that is truly embodied by God and by God's sending of his son, like in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And, uh, and God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him, it says in the following verse. So, um, and then we see that Jesus himself emphasizes that love, God's love includes even God's enemies. And God's call to us is to, is to love um, God's enemies and our enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 28. But I say to you who hear, and uh, this is a powerful um, statement here. I say to you who are hearing, who keep on hearing, who have open ears. So it really takes open ears to hear what he's going to say next, because this is hard. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So even if we're othering fellow brothers and sisters, um, and perhaps because we're experiencing their hatred towards us, or their cursing of us, or mistreating of us, or, um, or just whatever they're doing that is, that is difficult, we're still called, if we're listening to Jesus, to love our enemies. So anyway, what does love look like? You know, love is something that must be embodied. It's not just a, an emotion. In fact, agape really isn't an emotion, though it can be emotional. It's a choice um, to actually engage in a practice that looks like something. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous scripture that talks about love. I'm going to read um, the beginning part. Um, beginning verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surround my body or surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Wow. So here we're, you know, we're told very clearly by the Apostle Paul that, um, you know, having incredible gifts of the Spirit um, is meaningless really without love. You know, being super prophetic or, um, you know, being justice warriors, you know, being willing to give all of our possessions to feed the poor and even surrendering our body to be burned, you know, being martyred. Um, if we don't have love, none of that is of any value. And then he goes on 
to describe what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So one of the, you know, one of the things that I've done many times just to, you know, to kind of see where I stand, I guess, when it comes to love is, um, <laughs> this is a funny thing to do, but you can exchange your own name for the word love here and say, you know, um, Bob is patient. Bob is kind. Bob is not jealous. Bob does not brag and is not arrogant. You know, you go all the way through this and you, you place your name there. And, uh, and it's, I think the spirit really will convict you. I, I'm, I'm sure. And especially if you get to the very end and you say, and now faith, hope, and Bob abide these three, but the greatest of these is Bob. If you go that far and you can say that with a, with a good conscience, you've got a, you've got a problem. Anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of a funny thing, but, um, here we can say that God is patient. God is kind and is not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant. God does not act unbecomingly. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. So let's look at some of the language here. You know, there's some real precise language that's uh, kind of technical language in a way that I spent a little bit of time working on. Like, first of all, it says love is patient. That's from the verb makruthumeo, which means to preserve patiently and bravely, to be patient in bearing the offenses and the injuries of others, to be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. Wow, that is challenging, right? To ourselves embody that kind of love that is that is patient, you know, that is able to bear with uh, difficult people and annoying people and our family members when they're going through rough times and when they're maybe mistreating us or our colleagues at work or anyone, um, fellow Christians, right? who um, we can lose patience with, you know, people that maybe we don't know, but we hear about, we read about through news articles. Um, so anyway, learning what that patience looks like and um, is critical. Number two, love is kind. And by the way, there's 16 different um, aspects of love that Paul identifies, and um, which makes me really uh, believe, I guess, that we're invited to be students of love. We're invited to to look at it and actually analyze what love actually looks like. And um, I think scripture has that role, that function to high, call us up to a higher place, to have an intelligence about the way that we're, you know, em, em, embodying the love of God. Love is kind. That's the word, um, Christotes. And um, this is a word that is elsewhere in all over the place in the New Testament. 
Um, I think of Romans chapter 2. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? So Paul, um, this is where Paul is, is really calling out Christians who are judging and saying, don't judge, right? Don't judge lest you be judged. And when we judged, we're thinking lightly of the riches of his kindness. So, I mean, kindness, um, Christotes, means kind, to be kind. And let's look at some more of these scriptures, like um, kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so clearly we don't want to think that we can just analyze all of these aspects of love and then just uh, decide that we're going to just practice them, like, you know, like going through a CrossFit workout or something where we're doing push-ups and pull-ups and, you know, and different exercises. And, and, and it's a matter of just, you know, doing this and in our own strength, you know, no, love is the fruit of the Spirit. But um, so we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with God's love. We need to let ourselves be that world that God loves. You know, we need to let the love of God penetrate into our hearts and and the Spirit of God to fill us. And and then the fruit of that Spirit will be these, these gifts. And yet, uh, being, I think, thoughtful and educated about what love looks like is also important. So let's look at some of these verses. So Galatians 5.22, this is about kindness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and there's many others, uh, self-control. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his kind of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this is talking about the Father's kindness. Colossians 3.20. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So here the writer of Colossians is, is saying, because we've been chosen and we're set apart and we're beloved then we're to actually take this direct action of putting on something, um, which is putting on a heart of compassion. So this involves our will. It's not something that is just going to happen to us, is that we're going to show compassion. We need to actually put on this heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So why are we told to actually do this, you know, versus it just being something that would naturally occur because it's the fruit of the Spirit? I think because this goes so against our nature, you know, our tendency is to is to be the opposite, is to is to be hard-hearted, to be unkind, to be proud, to be rough, to be impatient, and so we need God to speak to us through the Scriptures to call us higher to a place that is in alignment with you know the the embodiment of God's love in Jesus. Titus three four. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for humankind appeared. So see, Jesus is the embodiment as the Savior who appears and who walks with us. And, um, and so looking at Jesus and imitating Jesus is where that kindness is going to be, I think, best rooted. Is it's, it's mirrored to us through the gospel stories where we see Jesus, how he, you know, how he behaved, I guess, with people. Uh, in the many stories that we have in 
in the Gospels. Number three, love is not jealous. That's from the verb zelo-o, which means to set one's heart on something that belongs to someone else, to covet, to experience strong envy and resentment against someone, to be jealous, to be envious. Um, that's from Loanitis, um, Dictionary of the New Testament Greek. So, um, love is not um, that. Love is not that. Um, so, if that is something that is in us, you know, um, to covet uh, someone else, someone else's uh, goods. Like, think about the Ten Commandments. You know, um, one of the very, one of these Ten Commandments involves not coveting. Let's just check it out. Um, Exodus 20, 1 through 17 is where we find these. And, um, you know, I've never really been about, like, emphasizing so much the commandments in the sense that I think one of the problems with a lot of people's view of being a Christian is that it's all about just doing things and to be saved, like, like practicing a, a particular way of life um, that, in a way, you could just extract from the Bible and just do it without even needing God which I think is what happens when we fall into a moralism of sort. And uh, But it's important to be aware of these commandments, to know them and actually to follow them, to take them seriously. So um, here we have, um, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Wow, that's challenging, isn't it? There's almost more um, emphasis and like detail in that commandment regarding not coveting, um, because I think it's so common, isn't it, to want what other people have their their retirement plan, their their house, their their wealth, their maybe their reputation, their um, whatever it might be, their looks, and so and that's the last of the commandments. So the very first one is um, you shall have no other gods before me. And the last of the Ten Commandments is you shall not covet. So love is not jealous or, or covetous. Number four, love does not brag. And that's from the verb perpepeomai, which means to praise oneself excessively, to be a braggart, to brag. It's, I think, you know, in the seven mortal passions or the eight mortal passions of the early church fathers, the seven deadly sins, otherwise known as the seven deadly sins, but in the Eastern tradition, you have eight of them identified. Uh, there's a difference between pride, which is the most subtle and less easily identified of the of the sins or the passions, and um, vainglory, which I think involves like the desire for human praise. I think I think this fits into the category of you know a vainglory. You know, uh, love does not brag. You know, it doesn't put itself out there and promote itself as a brand, you know, yourself, ourself, like we're prone to do. And that's modeled for us everywhere, isn't it, in social media? 
So love is not about that. Number five, and it's love is not arrogant. That's the word fusio o, fusio o, to puff up, to inflate, um, to be puffed up with pride, to be proud, to be haughty. So maybe this is in contrast to uh, vainglory. It's it's actually pride. So when pride is is in us, then love, I think, is less present. And and I mean, this doesn't mean that if any of these behaviors are present in us, that there's no love. But love looks like an absence of that of of pride, and it's not about just masking our pride so that it's invisible. It's actually about like that pride being put to death, so to speak, like it's an aspect of the flesh that we we mustn't give room for, but need to be brutal and, um, un, you know, uncompromising with it. And um, we need to be vigilant. And the whole Hesse chest tradition of Eastern monasticism, you know, the Desert Fathers, they were all about knowing about these passions, you know, these mortal sins, so that we could identify them when they were coming our way. And, you know, and awareness can help us uh, notice when this stuff is affecting us. Um, number six, love does not act unbecomingly. Um, this is the word askemoneo, which means to act shamefully, indecent behavior, shameful deed. And um, so indecent behavior I mean, some would translate this as, as being rude. Um, this is something that I think is, is just so common. You know, we're, we're rude. We're rude on the, on the highways, you know. Um, think about road rage. You know, we're rude to one another. When someone says something to us in a rude way, we respond often in kind. You know, I see myself doing that, and I, you know, and I, and I don't want to be about that, right? I want, um, I want to be someone who, is, you know, is, is showing love to the people around me and, um, and is embodying this, this kind of love and resisting this, this part of myself that, that raises this ugly head that, um, you know, that really needs to not be justified, but, but just dealt with. Uh, number seven, it does not seek its own. Love does not pursue, seek after just its own will, its own way. It's, uh, it's really thinking about the other. It's thinking about, um, you know, love doesn't try to change the beloved, writes Kierkegaard. Love changes itself, oneself. You know, we change ourselves to love the other, which obviously that can be d damaging if, if we're in a codependent relationship and we're conflict avoidant and, you know, we are, you know, we're, we're just doing everything we can to defer to the other and allow for a lot of negative behavior. I don't think this is saying that, that we should just let, um, you know, miss people misbehave around us without ever calling them out on it. It's, it's more like we ourselves need to, you know, be, um, embodying the servant heart and love of God, like that we see in Jesus who, you know, who models that through, you know, um, the way that he, girded himself and, uh, you know, with a towel and he washed his disciples' feet and he, you know, he says, we're not to be like the nations, right? That lowered it over people. So, you know, Matthew 20, Jesus talks about this humble attitude of service that is what we should be embodying. I'm just going to read that. 
um, you know, the mother of a son's Zebedee comes to Jesus and wants a favor to have her sons, James and John, be on his right and his left when he comes into his kingdom. And, um, you know, that when the 12, the 10, they were angry um, about that. And Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, um, number eight, love is not provoked, or in other words, is not irritable. That's the verb... Um, paroxuno, which means to irritate, provoke, rouse to anger, exasperate. Wow, that hits home for me. Sometimes I just find myself being annoyed. You know, I'm tired. I have my justifications. I haven't had my coffee. Someone's asking me to um, to do something or to think about something when I'm ready to go to sleep or right when I've woken up. Like, I have my justifications, and I don't want to be about that. I don't want to be irritable. And I want um, to just be, to have love reign in me, you know, which means uh, that I need to prepare myself to, um, you know, to go into my day in a way where I am, I guess, receiving God's love and God's patience and um, care for me and being filled, you know, um, the way that I find that I'm able to do that is just to spend some time even before I get out of bed, just, uh, you know, really giving my day over to, to Jesus and, and then trying to right away get into God's presence and spend some time reading some Psalms and even writing in my journal um, all the things that I'm thankful for, for the last, you know, since I have last written in my journal. And that um, often really helps center me and, um, and then making my list of, of to-dos of the day for the day. So, in a way that I'm ready to just deal with people. Although often I get interrupted, but but really love is not provoked, even if I'm interrupted in the middle of my attempt to center myself. You know, I need to resist this flesh that's in me, this weakness that is, would be prone towards that and not justify myself. And I'd say, well, if you, you just need to know that you need to give me my space or whatever. We of course we do. We need to listen to one another and give each other space and and understand each other's weaknesses, but we shouldn't coddle ourselves either. We need to be, you know, working to receive what we need from God so that we can, you know, be filled with love rather than these other behaviors. Number nine, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. This is the verb logizomai, which means to take an inventory. So some translations say love does not take an inventory of wrongs. Wow. Okay. That, that's something that is just so normal, isn't it? Like you're, you get in an argument, you get in a fight with someone and they pull out a big bunch of things from the past and you realize, wow, they've really got an armory there. Of, they've got a good memory. In fact, a better memory than me. And so sometimes we feel challenged to kind of search back in our own memories for ways that this person perhaps has has fallen short or mistreated us. And so we pull out our 
our memories and the one with the better memory wins, I guess, but um, no, no, it doesn't. That one doesn't win. We don't win by taking into account the wrong suffered, even though this is exactly what the prosecutor is doing when it stands with the victim. It's uh, and, and the prosecutor, that's their job is to actually speak to the perpetrator um, of the wrong that's been done and, and, and proof needs to be I guess, marshaled in order to convict somebody. And, and we need to hold people accountable in our society. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that the prosecutor needs to just forgive and forget everything. Definitely, I'd like to see them forgive and forget a lot more. But this is more talking about ourselves and our behavior. So we're not to take into account a wrong suffered and keep records of wrongs. We're, we're called to forgive those that have offended us. And as far as the East is from the West, that's how far he's, God has removed our transgressions from us. And if we're to love in the way that God loves, then we need to be forgiving and forgetting as well. And of course, that doesn't mean that we automatically just trust somebody who's offended us. Trust has to be rebuilt. And um, forgiveness is something that is a process and sometimes requires many, many, many times of actively forgiving, like 70 times 7. Um, is like something Jesus states. Number 10, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Sometimes people can rejoice when an enemy goes down, when a tyrant or a thug gets assassinated or thrown in jail, you know, or, you know, kind of uh, ridiculed or put uh, publicly humiliated or, or whatever. But we're called to not be rejoicing in, um, you know, in stuff like that. You know, um, we don't want to be, uh, you know, applauding the downfall of anybody, you know, even especially people that we're, we might be jealous of or challenged by or, you know, people that maybe look like they're more successful and maybe they are in certain ways. And we should humbly just let ourselves be challenged by some of those people. But, but even if there are good reasons to not um, appreciate how people are achieving whatever they're achieving, we're not to rejoice in the downfall of anybody, but rejoices with the truth. This is number 11. So love rejoices with the truth. And, um, and so that there is something about justice, uh, seeking justice here, like when the truth comes out, when um, whistleblowers, you know, um, expose the injustices of the powerful, you know, when uh, Julian Assange, um, you know, succeeds at, at, exposing uh, the crimes of, of powerful nations like the United States or, you know, or, um, you know, anyone does that, you know, Daniel Ellsberg, he, he just passed away this last month. And, you know, he was the one who uh, was, was one of the great whistleblowers of the last century who exposed um, a lot of the crimes in Vietnam, you know, the Pentagon Papers. And so we want to be people that um, rejoice in the truth and that, um, and beginning with ourselves, when when God convicts us of our own um, sin, with our of our own injustices, and we uh, we want to be rejoicing and saying, you know, thank you God for bringing this to my attention, you know, through my wife or through my kids or through my conscience or through the scriptures, however it came to my attention through a colleague, and I rejoice that this um, that this truth has been exposed. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to really admit and to humbly repent. But um, love rejoices with the truth.
Number 12, love bears all things. That's the verb stego, um, which means to put up with annoyance or difficulty, to put up with, to endure. Wow, bears all things? So it puts up with all things? I mean, once again, I don't think this is saying that victims of domestic violence or child abuse should just put up with that. Okay, so all things need still to be categorized, or there needs to be a definition about what all things means. But I believe that uh, we still need to be really careful that we don't justify not putting up with um, things that annoy us and that we maybe have some good reasons to be bothered by rather than overriding uh, the annoyance um, in us with and choosing to actually love some someone who is bothersome to us. Number 13, love believes all things. Okay, so this is a tricky one too. Um, you know, we don't want to believe what um, deceptive politicians say in their denial of the truth. We don't want to believe um, what... Um, someone is saying who's trying to deceive us you know we want to we don't want to override our discernment and um and just be positive minded and naive and gullible this is not what uh, paul is saying you know um that would go against absolutely um everything that is stated in the 11th uh, trait of love which is love rejoices with the truth I think believing all things means that we, um, some some translations would say love expects um, the best. Um, and I, I believe, you know, that, you know, in, rather than uh, assuming the worst, maybe we want to um, give the person grace and um, and not, not expect the worst or assume the worst in terms of what um, someone maybe is guilty of, but um, withhold that judgment and and just um you know we don't we don't want to just agree with even even maybe our intuition because our intuition may have been marked by a trauma or by having been taken advantage of or being sinned against and and it, having uh, injustices committed against ourselves so we want to have processed our own trauma and our own hurts enough to to know the difference between our suspicion and true spiritual discernment and um, I think that I, um, I grew up with a, a father who was really believing in an, in an extreme sort of way. He, he, I think he was often gullible. And so I can, I can move in the opposite direction because I, I, I can see that tendency in myself. And so I, I counter it. But that's the flesh if I'm just countering it with my own, um, out of my own um, I guess, judgment of my father. So I, I choose to forgive my father for being that way. And I have forgiven him. And, um, I choose to, you know, to, to try to question myself when I'm, when I'm overly, overly in the name of discernment, in the name of, um, you know, um, I guess a realism, I guess, um, I want to accept this challenge that love believes all things. Um, love hopes all things. So I want to hope that someone can change. I want to, um, you know, we often have the opportunity to choose to believe in somebody rather than um, choose to believe that to, or to not believe in them. Like we have many people that are struggling with addictions who've relapsed many different times 
And they're used to nobody believing in them because they've disappointed people so many times. And maybe we're some of those people. You know, maybe people um, have stopped believing and hoping um, in us. And and so we know what it feels like to just uh, be the people that have said, I'm sorry. And people saying, well, yeah, you've said you're sorry so many, so many times, but you just keep doing this. And um, we can feel defeated, can't we, when people remind us of just our struggles to change. And we don't want to be like that towards others. We want to believe all things, hope all things, um, but not in a in a way that is, I guess, blind either. So number 15, love endures all things. That's the verb hupameno, to continue to bear up despite difficulty and suffering, to endure, to bear up, to demonstrate endurance, to put up with. So wow, this is a really high bar that Paul is defining and identifying here in terms of you know, our behavior. And it looks like really a, an invitation into a kind of codependency. Uh, and it could be read this way. And perhaps it is in a sense that we could be judged as being codependent. God could be judged as being codependent because when God is merciful to the unrighteous and to the sinners, you know, what does that mean? That God is um, holding back from letting people experience the full consequences, you know, letting us experience the full consequences of our misdeeds when God's mercy and God's grace, you know, cover over a multitude of our mis misdeeds, misbehaviors. Wow, I praise God that I can be a beneficiary of that. And when we receive the forgiveness that is just freely given, you know, um, do we extend that forgiveness and, um, and then let our behavior um, embody that kindness um, that leads to repentance? I would hope so. I would, I would hope that we would be challenged by this. And finally, number 16, love never fails. And that is the word pipto, which uh, has yet the, the, the meaning of, of descending from a higher place to a lower place. So love never descends from a higher place to a lower place. It doesn't, um, it doesn't fall. Okay, so love doesn't fail. And um, we want to have a love up on that um, high place um, because love is God. God is love, right? And um, and so God and love mustn't be extracted from God like it's um, something that can be separated from God. Love is fully embodied in, in God the Father, um, in God the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit. And, and so in our contemplation and our worship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and um, our, in our letting ourselves be touched by the gospel and to receive the love of God into ourselves. Surely this is um, where we learn to live in that high place. And um, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, you know, we mustn't, um, you know, we must look to the things above where Christ is seated and, in, um, and not on the things below. And, uh, you know, where we just see so much injustice and so much destruction and brokenness all around us. We want to keep our sights um, in, um, in the high, high places of the heavenly places where Christ is seated and be contemplating the love of God as we see it in Jesus, um, who is the word made flesh and who is love embodied fully and totally in a human being. So let's pray. 
God, I pray that you would help us to um, really understand what love is and what it isn't and to and to really um, be confessional people who are not justifying our misdeeds and our lack of rigor when it comes to really walking in your love, but that we would be repentant and and humble and um, and say yes to the call to you know to receive and to embody your love um, to those around us. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.